Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20 for today. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you for reading that this morning. Uh, so when you do the welcome at Round Rock Church Christ, the one rule of doing the welcome is making sure to tell people to check in this morning on the QR code. I had one job, and I missed that job this morning. Real it's about midway. Uh, guys in the booth, do you mind when Bob comes up to do uh, his sending today, would you all mind just displaying the QR code for people to check in? And then, Bob, do you mind reminding people? Okay, great. You do mind. Okay, all right. I love that question every time. Bob, I'll be back for a second service. <laughs> a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, people used to ask and beg for your attention. Nowadays, people don't ask for your attention. They pay for it. Literally, they pay for it. They pay for it when you drive down I-35. They pay for it to have real estate on your computer screen. They pay for it to be able to see every tap and touch you make on your phone. They pay for your attention. Who is they? There are industries that are made today and designed to be able to, to track where your attention is going. Because if you can track where your attention is spent, they can also predict where you spend your resources. Take a normal web page, for example. There are companies that exist now to tell people like Apple, to tell people like Google, that they can predict not just how much time you will put your attention on something, but actually where you will put your attention. Many companies actually call this the F map. Now, if you were to look at a web page or to look at your phone, you will notice that through eye tracking technology, 
There are companies that can predict if you only spend a couple seconds looking at a page, they know exactly on a page where your attention will be. Stats say right now that when you click on something on Google or open an app on your phone, you are only reading 28% of what is on a screen. And what, why they call this an F-map is because you can see that we read and tend to go in the shape of an F. There is a pattern in the way that you look and direct your attention. You'll even see this is a phone screen of just visually through the day where you may look. There are companies that have us down to a science. You are predictable with where your eyes will go. But here's the beautiful thing about Christmas. Even though your eyes are so predictable of where they will go, when it comes to looking for God, God is found in the unpredictable. And this is why we started a series called Behold last week. If you're not familiar with the term behold, it is this old school word that has so much richness behind it. Behold just means to gaze, to stare, to look intently. It is actually a word that is scattered all throughout the Bible. If you're to look at early translations of the Bible, the word behold would happen 1,298 times. But most modern translations today have behold less than 50 times. Not only losing our language to behold, we are losing our ability to behold. And in this time of Christmas, this is the time where Christians stare, gaze, look intently at the good news of God with us. This is the time of year where your patterns in life can change. And they're to change to be able to behold the good news of God. The question for all of us is this is not the only pattern that we get in life. Many of you are handed patterns during the Christmas season. Get gifts for certain people. Be at certain parties. Make sure you do certain social standings. How do you behold the good news of God in the midst of all the different things you have to do this season? As we come to Luke 2 today, Luke, the writer of this story, would answer that question by saying, you don't have to look any further than looking for the shepherds of the world. Did you ever have someone growing up that you just looked up to or that you were like, man, I, when I grow up, I want to be like this person? That yes, that no, mm -mm, yeah, mm -hmm, okay. All right, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, mine was Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. Okay, I'm I'm being pretty vulnerable up here this morning. I was writing, I was like, "Am I really gonna give him this ammo?" Yeah, I'm gonna give it to him. Uh, if you're not familiar with Steve Irwin, he was an, an Australian uh, zoologist. He was basically he was the best. Okay, he would go and he would tackle and wrestle crocodiles. What more could you want as a six-year-old? Okay, I love Steve Irwin. I tried to be Steve Irwin in my life. I would dress up as Steve Irwin and I would creep around my house and I would wait for our cat to show up. And I had this massive sack, like this Santa sack, and I would just pounce on the cat and I would wrap him up in there. You know, matter of fact, now I know why that cat did not like me, but 
I would practice being Steve Irwin. I was trained. If you looked at my room, it was like it was like Crocodile Hunter just threw up all over it, okay? It was all there. I had a birthday party that was Crocodile Hunter. I wanted to be Crocodile Hunter. But all that changed in first grade. All that changed. Because in first grade, I dressed up as Steve Irwin, my hero. And I remember going to school. It wasn't a normal day, okay? It was Halloween. We were supposed to dress up, okay? Only child. I still had social cues. And I remember walking into school, and I'll remember my first love, Caitlin Alexandria. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I remember she looked at me, and she goes, anyone that would wear those type of pants can't be cool. And that was the moment that I was like, I no longer want to be Steve Irwin. And you go, Zane, how could you give up the dream like that? Because when you're in first grade, no one has the authority like an elementary crush, okay? And she told me it was no longer cool to be Steve Irwin in my life. This is the trajectory of life of the shepherds. Shepherds at one point in the Bible were absolutely cool. They went on the same trajectory as I went with Steve Irwin. Think about in the Bible when you hear stories about David. People used to think, wow, David is a man after God's own heart. That is so cool. And then think about how the prophets would describe God. They would say, the Lord is my shepherd. But by the time you reach Jesus' time with the shepherds, you actually find that shepherds have gone from hero to zero. Shepherds would not be a position that would be famous, highly regarded. As a matter of fact, shepherds were looked upon lowly. Shepherds were the ones that at best were the people that you ignored, and at the worst, shepherds were dishonest deadweight to society. Due to how much a shepherd would nomadically travel, there began to be a stereotype in Jesus' day, at least from what we know so far, that shepherds were thieves. Shepherds were dishonest. Shepherds were people that traveled and they freeloaded off of other people. And when it comes to the attention of God in the story of Christmas, when God wants to get the attention of the world, God first gets the attention of these shepherds. What's true then is still true today. If you want to find someone who does not get very much attention in society, you look to those who take care of the world at night while a lot of people are still sleeping. And this is how Luke actually sets it up. He says, when it comes to God getting the attention of the world, he starts with these shepherds. And why for that? And this is God right here. That God pays attention to those who are least paid attention to in society. That God directs his attention to those who we pass over in our attention and in this moment in the story where you have these angels coming to these shepherds, it is as if heaven is peeling back a curtain to say, what is God about? And what is God like? And God comes to these lowly shepherds and reveals God's massive plan. Because those who do not 
have a lot of attention given to them. Know how to have attention on God. Because they depend on God in a way that many people never have to think about at all. Here's how Luke will paint it to you here. In Luke 2, starting in verse 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, may you gaze, may you look, may you direct your attention. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, I want us to park here for a second because there's a piece of the Christmas story that if we don't lean in, we may miss it a little bit. That when God gifts the world, God actually wraps Jesus in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, let me see if I can get this illustrated a little bit more thoroughly to each of us. Okay, here's what I need. I'm taking two vulnerable moves in this sermon, all right? I need three volunteers, three people that are willing to come up and unwrap a gift. That's all I'm asking for you, okay? Can I get three? Yeah, I should have planned this ahead of time at this point. Okay, all right, Candace, you're coming up. All right, here we go. Here we go. Who's my last one? Okay, all right, let's go. All right, I need you to select one of these three gifts. That's here. Mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> all right, so here's the first thing uh, you can decide to keep your gift. Or you can steal one of their gifts and swap it. What's your choice today? Are you going to love? I'm swapping with her. Okay, you're swapping with Candace. You cannot keep your gift, Candace. All right, here we go. Now you have the option. You can steal one of these gifts or you can keep it. Absolutely, it's valuable wrapping. You now have the option. You can steal one of their gifts. You can get that gift back. Or you can keep the gift that you have. Oh, wow. That got deep. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. So I'm going to invite y'all. Y'all can go ahead and unwrap your gifts now. Now, if you've ever wrestled with this before, maybe, uh, maybe you experienced this growing up when you were unwrapping gifts yourself. Maybe you've done like a white elephant gift before. The thing with this is you always predict what is the wrapping going to reveal about the type of gift that you want? Now, Candace, what'd you go ahead and get? Oh my gosh, I got an amazing sock. Yes, <laughs> yes. Sock. Is it one sock? It's just one. It's one sock, even better. Okay, yeah. that sock is yours to keep. Thank you. Thank you for doing this this morning. That's true. Okay, what we got? A used tube of toothpaste. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. That's yours to keep as well. <laughs> that was a great trade. All right, what do we have for the third one? Empty. Absolutely nothing. A great box to play with. A great box to play with. Fascinating. Can I see your box for a second? You got a Starbucks gift card. That's what you got. Woo! Always be celebrating, ladies and gentlemen. All right, thank y'all very much for doing it. Man, that illustration almost crashed and burned. I was like, if there's no gift in here, this is all over. 
<laughs> it was. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, that was a risky one. I know, I know. Okay, so this is the point. Searching for God can sometimes very much be like a white elephant gift. If you've noticed, wrapping can be misleading. You may think you know what gift you're on to, and then you unwrap it and you find that it's very lame. Or you may find that is what is unnoticeable may be the most noticeable gift that you have in it. Here's the question. Can we be able to identify the way that God wraps beautiful things in the world? Just as wrapping, just as the outside can be misleading, so can God's realities. That God is hidden in ways that we could never expect. Notice this is how Luke tells it to you. That Jesus comes into the world and He is wrapped in swaddling clothes, nothing famous about that, and that He is lying in a manger. If you're familiar with the term manger, that just means a feeding trough. Okay, This is the way that God wraps God to the world. Let's put it like this way. God comes in the most unexpected, non-C-suite, non-oval office, not even as a fully functioning adult. God is not found in a powerful way, but God is found in a stable with those who are powerless. He is not born on a throne full of resources. He is born around people who do not have any resources. This Jesus would not be found with 10,000 followers. He would just have 12 and they don't even know why they're following him. In essence, God's wrapped in hidden in unexpected ways. And almost everyone in the story has to experience this. Imagine if you're the shepherds. You experience this major revelation with the angels. And then you show up to see a baby. It's a baby that doesn't even glow in the dark, okay? And you traveled all that way. And vice versa as well. With Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, who have just heard a word from God and are wondering, is this son actually going to be this legendary Messiah that people say, and a couple of smelly shepherds come to confirm. Not spiritual gurus, not anyone of political clout, just a couple of shepherds. The story is unexpected and it's underwhelming. But here's the thing, life with God isn't about seeing something incredible all the time. It's about being able to interpret how there's incredible things happening all around us. I love the way that Tracy G, she's this Asian American writer, says that when you think about God, finding God is like finding a missing contact. Like if you've ever dropped a contact before on the ground, finding God is very much the similar. If you ever drop a contact on the ground, you look ridiculous while you're trying to find that contact. You're on the floor. You're like telling everyone to stop. You're trying to look very intently because that thing is see-through and you don't want anyone to step on it. And here's the thing with the contact. If you don't look closely, if you don't look closely, you will look right past it because you'll think that there's nothing there. As it is with the contact, as it also is with God. 
that we have to stare very closely at God's story, that God works in unexpected ways and unexpected people. Christmas is meant to dilate your eyes. It is supposed to help you be able to see in a way that you don't see at the rest of our time. It is to direct your attention to people who do not get your attention week in and week out. Maybe the people who teach us this the best is our kids. Think about it. Attention is the economy of love. If you look around, what does a kid want most when you are in their presence? They want you to look at them and see what they are doing. Even if you get down to our childhood wounds, we start to hear things like, they never saw me. Or maybe I didn't get enough attention in my life. Attention is the economy of love. Where you look is an act of love. Where you stare is an act of love. There's an artist that probably many of us are familiar with. Her name is Dorothea Lange. And if you're unfamiliar with her work, she is a photojournalist who specializes in capturing some of the hardest moments throughout 20th century America. And many of us know her just because of her basic painting that she has. Guys, I may be out of, I may be out of battery here. Um, oh, no, I'm good. This is called The Migrant Worker. This is one of her most famous pieces. This is to, in essence, embody the Great Depression back in 1936. This is one of her most powerful pieces. What people don't know is that her artwork put together is actually a part of this greater work that she calls the politics of seeing. Because one of her points and one of the pieces that she does with her art is she wants you to be able to see and acknowledge the humanity and the hurt and the suffering in the world. What makes this so artistic, what has made America latch on to photos like this all throughout the age, is you can feel the weight of the time through staring at the picture. You can look at a mother and be able to just see through the creases, through the paws, through the hand, to be able to look and stare and feel the weight of the world on her shoulders. This is the most effective thing. And you ask her what the reason behind her work is, is that she would say, I want people to stare and be able to find words in ways that they've never been able to before. When it comes to the hardship and suffering of the world, a lot of times the first place that we have problems with is we just don't have an interest or a desire to help or contribute. We've got busy lives to be able to figure out. And one of the problems in the world is that people don't take the time to stare, to be able to gaze, to be able to look and see the hurt and the pain. I get it. I have the same instincts during Christmas. I want a Hallmark Christmas as well. There's so many things you have to see during this time. I mean, there are lights to go see. There are people to go see. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home is about to come out. You got to go see that. Amen, my brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There are things to see this Christmas, and I get that. One of the things I want us to hear, though, is that Christmas is a time 
to break the patterns of the things that we see. It's to be able to take our attention and direct our attention towards those who may not get it. It's for us to be able to stare and see those who we don't usually see. If you notice, Luke will actually say in Luke 2, verse 15, he'll say, when the angels had left them and gone into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. If you want a summation of the Christian faith during Christmas time, it is that, that we have a faith that goes and sees. We have a faith that goes out and directs our attention, not in a way that's just, oh, I noticed this, but we intentionally go out to see people we've never seen before. It starts with two to three shepherds that are unseen, and then it moves to a young family that no one would see in a place that no one would see, which brings us to the question of where is your attention during this season? All of us have patterns during this year. I had to imagine many of you have already made 12 trips to Target and you're planning your 13th. Many of us revisit Amazon shopping cart over and over and over again. Many of us have patterns, traditions that we do every single year with intentionality. What would it look like for you to intentionally see people who do not receive your attention in your normal day-to-day life. God's church, God's calling on your life is to not live an F-map life. That your patterns are predictable and they are the same way as the world. You are called to a different pattern of life. You are called to the patterns of Jesus in this world. And if you look at His patterns, they are cross-shaped. They are not F-shaped. So who gets the attention in your world? Who doesn't get the attention in your world? Taking inventory as we did last week was really good, but the next step is to ask, where do we not look? Let me give you two very simple on-ramps for this. The first would be this. If you have ever said to yourself, walking through your day-to-day, if you said, oh, you know, I, I have been meaning to reach out to that person or I have been meaning to connect with that person, there is your person right there to give attention to. Starting today to move forward, to get into the week and be like, I'm going to give this person in my life attention. And I can do you one even better. If you've been following Jesus for a while, here's another way to do this question. Basically, take an inventory of who is your closest circle. Who are the people that you spend the most time with? And this is a mature level response. But take the person that is in your most inner circle and flip their demographic. Flip their age. Flip their season of life. Flip their race. Flip their perspective of the world. And that is the person who you have the least amount of attention on in the world. Or at least give you a sign of it. For people who enter into the Christmas story, we have to be people who give our attention to who God gives the attention to. Maybe it's the neighbor across the street that you do not stop 
to say hello. Maybe it's someone that is on the other side of this room that you have seen week after week, but you have not connected with. Maybe it's that family member that you try to dodge every holiday season. This we do know. Christmas is a season of lookers. It is people who are onlookers in life. Everyone's looking for something. Herod's looking for power. Joseph is looking for a place to stay. Mary is looking at her son and asking, is this promise true? Christmas is a season of people looking. The question is, are you a person who's looking in this season as well? You may be asked the question this season, what are you looking forward to? Or who are you looking forward to seeing? Christians, followers of Jesus, have an answer to that question. The answer to that question is Jesus. Because Christ came. Christ comes to us in these unique ways now, and Christ will come again. Church, our prayer together is to behold the one who deserves all of our glory. Let's do it this season. Let me pray over us, and I want to invite uh, Bob to come up for the blessing. Uh, so God, we, we pray we are uh, caught up in so many different patterns and expectations that people and family and people at work uh, have for us. God, may you prompt us in ways to be able to see our neighbor. May you prompt us in ways to be able to see those who get the least amount of attention in our lives. God, may you prompt us this week to direct our attention and maybe to be able to experience this season differently. God, we remember that you are with those that you said are blessed. They're the least of these because they see your work in the world in a way that many of us can't. Help us to find them this week. In Jesus' name, amen.